praise the Lord, for he is good. Welcome. It's good to see you here. It's another day that the Lord has gave us, and uh, it's a wonderful time to be together and to soak in everything that God prepared for us today. Amen? The only limiting factor is who? Is you. Yes, and I am, right? If I am ready to, if I am ready to receive, if I'm ready to open and hear God's word, um, I will receive something. If I am not ready, pray right now and say, Lord, help me to hear your voice through everything that is happening in my life right now. Amen? Amen. I'm going to introduce our brother, our brother Igor. Um, he's a deacon, he's a teacher in a seminary, in a church. Um, he's going to be speaking today uh, in Russian. I believe most of us understand Russian. Игорь, пусть благословит. Всем добрый вечер. Я очень рад, что сегодня могу быть у вас на служении. Я прошу прощения, что я не могу еще хорошо проповедовать по-английски. Я учусь в Чикаго, но все равно проповедовать еще нормально по-английски не научился. Да. Как и мой профессор, я пишу докторскую диссертацию, мой профессор говорит, когда я читаю твои имейлы, я понимаю, как ужасно ты знаешь английский язык. Да, поэтому... Я очень рад, правда рад этой возможности поделиться с вами Словом Божьим. И я хотел бы вместе с вами открыть десятый псалом. Я очень много раз читаю этот псалом, очень много раз, наверное, уже и проповедовал этот псалом, но его смысл невозможно исчерпать. Его актуальность для нашего времени огромнейшая. Этот псалом дает нам ответ на очень многие вопросы, которые сегодня у нас есть. А если у нас даже нету таких вопросов, на которые этот псалом дает ответ, то значит он заставит нас задуматься о том, что, возможно, мы не думали. Итак, 10 псалом, я его буду читать по частям. Сначала я прочитаю первые три стиха. Начальнику хора псалом Давида. На Господа уповаю. Как же вы говорите душе моей, Улетай на гору вашу, как птица, ибо вот, нечестивые натянули лук, стрелу свою приложили к тетиве, чтобы во тьме стрелять в правых сердцем. Когда разрушены основания, что сделает праведник? Книгу Псамов может глубоко понимать истинный ценитель поэзии. Вы любите поэзию? Стихи. Надо полюбить. Знаете, поэзия, она выражает душу того человека, который пишет. В метафорах, сравнениях, каких-то образах он сообщает то, что его глубоко очень сильно волнует. И вот этот человек, Давид писал этот псалом, когда мы не знаем, какие конкретные были обстоятельства, что конкретно происходило в его жизни, но одно мы точно знаем, были сформированы такие обстоятельства, в которых ему, как праведному человеку, жить было довольно трудно. Вот как-то нечестивые люди, которые не чтят Бога, сформировали такую культуру, такое общество, в котором праведному человеку было не то, что даже трудно жить, а можно сказать, даже невозможно. Они разрушили основания. Вот он говорит о каких-то разрушенных основаниях. И вот дальше праведнику тяжело жить. И, кстати, вот этот третий стих, это вопрос, который задают нечестивые люди праведному человеку. Когда мы разрушили основания, что ты, праведный человек, можешь сделать? 
Давайте представим один пример. Представьте, что вам нужно было бы жить в разрушенном доме. Вы видели когда-то разрушенный дом? Там, где крыша упала, где, может, окон, дверей нету, где полы прогнили, можно провалиться в подвал. Вот представьте, что вам нужно жить в таком доме, и другого варианта нет. Вы не можете жить в каком-то другом доме, только этот. Как бы вы жили в этом доме? Какие у вас есть идеи? Как бы началась ваша жизнь в этом доме? Как бы вы вели себя там? Вот вы заходите вас в разрушенный дом. Опишите ваши чувства. Как вы хотите себя вести в разрушенном доме? Как? Осторожно. Почему? Потому что здесь опасно. Можно провалиться. Что-то может упасть на голову. Мы четко осознаем, что в разрушенном доме опасно. Представьте себе человека, который в разрушенном доме не чувствует осторожности никакой. Вот он перед вами, у меня две ключицы сломано. Когда мне было 10-11 лет, мы нашли, что возле нашей, на нашей улице есть два недостроенных трехэтажных дома. И мы, решили там, и мы решили, что это два наших целых замка. И я помню, я сейчас, мне 26, я помню, как мы туда заходили. Как осторожно мы тогда заходили, как вот мы аккуратно исследовали, там все переступали. И я помню, как мы по темноте играли, там догоняли друг друга. И вот я думал, что я примерно представлял, что вот там вот надо перепрыгивать и чуть-чуть не допрыгнул. Два раза. Это опасно. Зачем я хочу рассказать эти примеры, чтобы мы понимали, что мы живем в опасном мире. Это правда. И это не для того, чтобы лишний раз нас напугать. И даже если нам кажется, что мы живем в безопасном мире, где все хорошо, где нет никаких опасностей, нам нужно встрепенуться. Каждое утро, когда мы выходим из дому, стоит себе напоминать, мы выходим в опасный мир. Там нужно быть осторожным. Цена неосторожности очень высока. В чем опасность этого мира? В разрушенных основаниях. Книга псамов разделена на шесть частей. Вот первая часть, это первые 39 псамов, они учат нас, как праведному человеку жить среди нечестивого мира. И вот второй псалом, он нам дает ответ на, на вопрос, что такое разрушение оснований. И первые три стиха второго псалма говорят так. «Зачем метутся народы, и племена земли замышляют тщетные?» Восстают цари земли, и князья совещаются вместе против Господа и против помазанника его. Расторгнем узы их и свергнем себя оковы их. Опять же, образный язык. Он говорит, что цари, что люди, которые имеют власть, они вместе собираются, они вместе разговаривают, они вместе советуются. Для чего? Зачем они это делают? Для того, чтобы власть Бога свергнуть. Для того, чтобы Богу сказать, мы не хотим, чтобы ты правил нами, мы не хотим, чтобы ты управлял нами, нам не угодно, нам не нравится твое правление, нам не угодно твоя власть, мы не хотим, чтобы ты нами правил. Вот если вы так оглянуться вокруг себя, вы знаете такие места в вашем городе, в вашей стране, где вас окружают люди, которые говорят Богу, мы не хотим, чтобы ты нами правил. 
Мы не хотим, чтобы ты, Бог, объяснял нам, как и нам нужно жить. Но я хочу сегодня чуть-чуть глубже с вами посмотреть. Ведь даже неверующие люди сегодня говорят о моральном разложении. Да? Даже неверующие люди говорят о разложении семьи. И это тоже разрушение оснований. Когда люди говорят, мы не хотим, чтобы Бог правил нашей семьей. Но давайте нырнем сейчас еще глубже. А что если люди преподают, и они говорят, Бог, мы не хотим, чтобы ты правил тем, как мы преподаем. Или люди работают, и они говорят, Бог, мы не хотим, чтобы ты правил нам, как мы работаем. Или Бог, мы не хотим, чтобы ты правил нами, как мы учимся. А много людей даже вообще не задумывается о том, что вообще такая жизнь существует, что Бог может править человеком. Многие даже верующие люди, они даже и не думают, что Бог может править работой, что Бог может править учебой, что Бог хочет править не просто нашим богослужением. Да, мы знаем, как это угодно Богу провести богослужение, молиться, читать Библию, вести моральный образ жизни, но еще Богу смотрит на то, как мы работаем, как мы учимся, как мы отдыхаем, и это тоже должно было бы, по идее, быть Ему угодно. И не просто быть Ему угодно, но даже ему нравится прославлять его. Более того, если мы приведем свою работу, свою учебу, всю свою жизнь в соответствии с властью Бога, мы получим Божье благословение. Если же мы принимаем участие с вот этими людьми, которые разрушают основания, заметьте, в чем есть ирония, юмор, даже вот... Ну, с чего можно, так сказать бы, посмеяться, но все было бы смешно, если бы не было бы правдой, что когда люди разрушают основания Божьей власти, другого нет основания. Они разрушают то основание, на котором они могли бы нормально жить. Я преподаватель. И с детства мечтал им быть. А тут есть, есть еще люди, которые хотят быть преподавателем или преподавателем? Есть. Вы знаете, кто такой Яна Самоскаменский? Ну, вам нужно узнать. Если вы будете учиться преподавать, вы точно будете знать, кто это такой. Это чех. Это человек с Чехии. Он жил около 400 лет тому назад. И он подумал, а как бы изменилась педагогика, процесс преподавания, если бы им правил Бог? Представляете, он дерзнул подумать, взаимосвязать власть Бога и то, как он преподает. И он написал книгу «Великая дидактика. Искусство учить всех и всему». Он был чех, простой человек, никому он не был интересен. Потом в Чехии началась война, и он вынужден был бежать в Польшу. В Польшу, такую деревню, польский такой маленький деревенский городок Лешна. И он там жил. И никому не было до него дела, и никому он не был нужен. Но он подумал, и то, что он подумал, он написал на бумаге, как Бог правил бы образованием. И давайте перервемся. Вернемся к 10 псалму. Давид говорит, что первое, что он видит, что нечестивые приходят к нему и говорят праведному человеку, убегай. Ты видишь, мы сделали жизнь в обществе такую, где ты, праведный человек, не можешь жить праведно, убегай. Спрячься, скройся. Но что отвечает этот человек? 
Господь во святом храме своем, Господь, престол его на небесах, очи его зрят, вежды его испытывает сынов человеческих. Что означало в Израиле провозгласить, что Господь во святом храме своем, Господь, престол его на небесах? Это означало сказать, Бог правил, Бог правит, и Бог будет править миром. То есть, когда они ему говорят, мы разрушили всякие основания, на которые праведный человек мог бы жить праведно, он другими словами им говорит, врете, нет, не разрушили. Есть то основание, которое вы не можете никогда разрушить. Это то основание, что Бог правит миром. Он всегда им правил, Он всегда будет им править, и никто никогда, ни при каких обстоятельствах не разрушит этого правления. И в этом есть для нас три истины, которые мы можем применить в жизни. Как праведники, которые живут в обществе, где люди отказались от власти Бога. Я живу в такой стране, вы живете в такой стране. Любой человек живет в такой стране. В этой истине, что Бог правит миром, есть великое утешение. В этой истине есть великое наставление. И в этой истине есть великое побуждение к творчеству. Сначала великое утешение. Если мы переживаем какие-то страдания или какое-то унижение от тех людей, которые разрушают Божьи устои в этом обществе, не отчаивайтесь. Ваш Бог все равно правит миром. Если они вас обижают, Бог все равно правит миром. Если они вас унижают, Бог все равно правит миром. Вот мы с вами читали второй псалом, где написано, что князья, люди, которые имеют власть, они, совещают, они собираются вместе и совещаются, чтобы разрушить Божью власть. Но дальше написано, на живущий на небесах посмеется с них, Господь поругается над ними. Бог все равно восторжествует. Великое наставление. В чем заключается великое наставление? В том, что если Бог правит миром, если Он хозяин, если Он владыка, и как говорил премьер-министр Голландии в 19 веке, нет ни одного камешка в этом мире, которому Бог не скажет, это принадлежит мне, значит, бунтовать против Него, не слушаться Его, переступать Его законы, это абсурдно, это ненормально, это аморально, это грешить против самого себя. Мы же знаем массу физических законов, да? И мы понимаем, что если ты их нарушаешь, ты получаешь за это какое-то возмездие. Но не просто, когда мы нарушаем законы природы, мы получаем возмездие. Когда мы не учитываем закон всемирного тяготения и падаем. Тот же Бог, который создал эти законы, создал и законы жизни, создал и законы блаженства, счастливой жизни, которая написана в Евангелии от Матфея 5 главе, создал то, как должна развиваться личность в Галатам, когда он написал плод Божьего Духа. Это так должна развивать личность. Бог правит миром, и в этом есть великое наставление. Если мы сообразуем, связываем, сравниваем свою жизнь с этим правлением, мы получаем от этого царя великое благословение. И последнее, великое побуждение к творчеству. Если Бог правит миром, а этот мир отошел от его правления, то это значит, для нас есть место, для нас есть потенциал, где мы можем проявить свою верность Богу и направить пути мира к Богу. Мы возвращаемся к Яну Амасу Каменскому. 
Он видел, как грех исказил процесс образования. И он подумал, а как бы Бог мог его восстановить? Как бы он мог бы соответствовать его правлению? Ведь его престол на небе. Ведь он правит миром. Ведь он владыка настоящий. И он написал книгу «Великая дидактика». Он провел творчество. Он начал думать, а как так возможно, чтобы как это работает? Прошло время, каким-то образом эта книжка попала к датскому королю. Говорит, найдите этого человека, приведите ко мне. Его привели к нему, он говорит, сделай такие школы в Дании. Потом эта книга попала к голландскому королю, потом к нидерландскому, потом к британскому, потом к, фин к финскому. И так его назвали, этого беглого чеха назвали отцом свободной педагогики, свободных государств Европы. Вы все знаете, кто такой Уильям Улберфорс, да, с истории, борец против рабства в Великобритании в XIX веке. Ему все говорили, Уильям, ты никогда не сможешь побороть рабство. Ты никогда не можешь вы... бороться против рабства. 300 кораблей курсируют с Британии в Африку, из Африки в Америку и продают, раба... продают рабов. Величайшая коррупция, огромнейшие деньги платятся в парламент Британии, чтобы поддерживать это рабство. Но в этого человека, в его сердце была зажена ревность. Я хотел бы, я очень хотел бы, чтобы рабства в той стране, где я живу, нет. Не было. И тогда Джон Ньютон ему сказал, используй свое положение для славы Бога. Подумай, как бы твоя профессия могла прославить Бога. И он всю свою жизнь посвятил борьбу с рабством. И 25 марта 1807 года, за три дня до его смерти, британский парламент большинством голосов отменяет рабство. Знаете, что это означает? Что Бог правит миром. Пусть Бог благословит каждого из нас, чтобы мы помнили это великое утешение, великое наставление, великое побуждение к творчеству. Мы можем что-то изменить, потому что Бог правит миром. Божьих вам благословений. Спасибо вам большое за внимание. It's good to talk about the Bible. It's good to talk about the Word of God. It's good to study the Word of God. And today, we will attempt to do just that. We will attempt to, to study another part um, in this seven-part series called The I Ams. So we talked about the bread. Jesus is the bread. He said, I am the bread of life. And now we're going to talk about the second I Am. And this I Am is called... I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, whatever that means, right? So we'll attempt to, to discuss that. But before we go there, I remember and remember very vividly a couple of things from my childhood, okay? Some of these things, actually most of these things were just traumatizing things. Like when I was in serious pain, I broke something, and those pictures were like, just forever in my brain, just where I was, like the, the part of the forest I was or what soccer field I was on, just pain or, or some kind of trauma, but, and also good things. Not, my childhood was an old trauma and, and breaking bones. But one of the things that I remember vividly, and it wasn't really trauma, but it's, it was just like a very distinct feeling, was the feeling of, uh, that I got when I would walk with my dad, who... Um, 
for some reason, would sometimes walk during camping at night, sometimes with a flashlight and sometimes without. So let's say we're at a campfire, our motorhome is some way away, right? Like it's a good walk, so it's a minute walk. And sometimes we just like, and, and my dad would like expect us to, to like, hey, just go grab something from there. And usually, I mean, he would give us flashlights, but he would do it like just, he would stand up, you just get out of this zone of light, you know, the, you have the campfire going, maybe someone brought some kind of other lights, and you, and you literally just, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You st- outside of this, especially if there's something like, like a beam, you know, like someone sets up something on a tree just to, to see what you're cooking. But once you step out of that, it's just like you step into darkness. And then from there, your eyes haven't adjusted, and they're not going to adjust for the next, like, minute or two. You're walking in like, like, what's happening to me? Plus, as a kid, you're just scared that something's going to eat you. And even as adults, I feel like we should be scared sometimes that something will eat us in the forest. So that was one thing that I was always amazed uh, camping with my dad is how could he walk through darkness? And sometimes he would go like far away and sometimes you'd like, oh, I forgot my flashlight. Let's, I'm like, let's go get the flashlight. Oh, no, we'll, we'll make it. We kind of like, we kind of see the way, kind of not really. The moon's kind of giving us some light. We'll make it. And I'm just like really close to my dad, making sure there's no like yellow eyes in the forest looking at me. That's literally what I think all of us did as kids in the dark. But there's something about darkness, and I feel like it's inherent. It's inherent. So it's not, you don't have to teach it. You don't have to like, hey, be scared of this. It's inherent to every person. Um, something that's not right about darkness, especially when it comes to us as human beings. We are not creatures of darkness, created to be creatures of light. There are certain creatures created by God to be creatures of darkness. Like they live during the night. They get their food during the night. They get uh, all of the things they need to survive during the night. And then during the day, they sleep. They're called predators. A lot of predators do just, just that. They hunt at night, they, they attack at night, and they eat at night. But we're not like that. Humans were created like that. I'd like to read the, the place uh, in the Bible that we're going to talk about. It's written in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's interesting. uh, Jesus says this in John chapter 8, but I'm going to focus on John chapter 9 because Jesus repeats the same statement twice in John chapter 9. And we're literally going to go verse by verse in chapter 9 because as Jesus makes this statement and the Pharisees freak out, like, what are you talking about? You're the light. Jesus continues on to explain what he means by being the light, by doing some things. And these things were something that no one else could do. And I, I would like to, for you to follow along, perhaps, if, if you have an, um, the Bible app, uh, David Zick worked very well to put the, the, a very simple outline of my sermon notes on the Bible app. And Alex Slobodjanik's sermon notes will be there, and Lord willing, the other preachers. So you guys can just click on that, and just you'll be there. Or we'll also have him on the PowerPoint. But let's read about this. There, there's, there's something that Jesus does uh, where he illustrates. 
Jesus makes this random statement, I am the light, and then he does something to show, to prove that he is the light. So John chapter 9 says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. I'd like you to focus on this verse and especially on the word born. We, we see something about um, this person, and this person that we're going to talk about, there's, there's no name for him given to us in the Bible, but there's, there's really old, old sources that tell us like what this guy's name was, and they're all kind of the same. We're just going to call him the blind man, and the blind man is going to be for us an example of humanity, because it's interesting that a lot of the things that this blind man went through is a lot of the things that humanity, every single, I would say, human born to this earth goes through. Firstly, uh, this person is blind. It's very simple, but this person is blind. Meaning that his, his, his way of living, his, his level of life, like the thing he cares about, the thing he really desires at the end of the day, are reduced to a very low standard. And it's not because he just wants to live life like that. He cannot live life any other way. Because of his condition, because he can't see, the, the standard of his living is begging. The standard of his living is putting out his hand and saying alms, alms, all day long. The, the standard of his living is not seeing the beautiful sunset, is not seeing horses or people or friend, friends or family or, or mom or, or dad, never, not seeing them ever. The reality of his life is walking through the streets and being scared that he's going to stumble over something, if it's a new street or even if it's an old street. Never really sure what's happening around. Never really quite certain what, what you know, 10 feet ahead of him uh, has for him. Or even a foot ahead of him has for him. Just really not sure because he is blind and because he is in darkness. This man is in darkness. This man can, cannot see the light. And so this person who is blind... He's missing out, if we could talk in our language, on a lot of things that people who have the light are not missing out on. People who do have the light, they can go out and swimming. They could go out with their friends. They could do simple things like walk into cafes and drink coffee, enjoy life, enjoy, enjoy the things around them. Just enjoy the creation that God has created. This man can't do that. So the first thing is that this man has a very tragic reality. That's point number one. And, and it's not just that this man has a tragic reality. It's that all of humanity, whom this man represents, has a very tragic reality. And this reality can only be seen from the outside. Just notice this. This reality that this man is missing out on, the fact that this man can't do all these things that millions of other people are doing, can only be seen by the people who are doing them by the people who can see, by the people who can ride horses, the people who can play soccer, the people who can read. Those are the people that actually know that this guy is missing out on something. 
every other blind person who was born blind, that's another important part, but we'll get to that, they don't know that. They sense it. They understand it. They hear people talking that there's another life out there. There's a, a life of just freedom and doing whatever you want and just enjoying it, not having to beg all day. But not this man. So the reality of this man is verse 8. So chapter 9, verse 8, it says, The neighbors, therefore, those who previously saw him as a beggar, were saying, Is not this the one who used to do two things? Notice, two things, sit and beg. So this is this man's reality. The things that he does, a man that is covered in darkness, who is blind, does two things. He sits and he begs. He, he asks for comfort. He asks for sustenance from things that can kind of give him that. They can give him, you know, a, a dollar. They can give him some food. But they can't change his situation. They can't change... His blindness. They can't help him see the light. So point number one is that it's a very tragic re reality. The fact that the world lays in darkness is a very tragic reality. Point number two is that, as we read in verse one, and listen to this, it is inherent to Christians. Right? We, we say, I, I was born Christian. It is inherent to Buddhists. It is inherent to every single person born on earth. This, this uh, person who was blind, the Bible makes it very clear, states it twice, he was blind from his birth. He wasn't worse than the people around him. He didn't do something dumb when he was like 12 or 15. He didn't, he didn't do something accidental to make that happen. He was just born like that. And the Bible, for some reason, is saying that it wasn't his parents' fault, it wasn't his fault, but he was born blind. It was a, a genetic mutation somewhere. Somewhere, someone did mess up. Someone, somewhere did have a, that kind of gene. But for him, it, it wasn't his fault. But he was born into it. And here's the interesting thing, that as people who are born into this world, we have the same inherent condition, the same thing that we're born with. Every person born to this world is born blind spiritually in darkness, spiritually not being able to see the beauty of Jesus, not being able to enjoy the creation, like truly enjoy, not enjoy like the world does, but look at it and say, this is insane, this is amazing, and something is happening to your soul. You, you can't do that. You can't be reading a book, not being a Christian. I, and I can guarantee you this, and I've read other people who, who just said the same thing, reading godly literature and saying, there's something happening in my soul. Some kind of light is piercing through me, and it's just enlightening me. It's giving me peace. It's giving me joy. It's showing me God's beautiful creation. People can't have that automatically. People don't get that being born. We are born into this world blind. I was born blind. You were born blind. So there's, there's two realities. It's the fact that this happens to everyone. In this story, it's just this man. But this man, I believe, represents humanity. And number two, it's that people are born with this. They can't escape it. And you, they can't really get fixed by someone, by something from it. But, but here's the thing. 
here's Jesus' answer. The disciples come to Jesus and, and they're, they're saying, who sinned? Who did something wrong? Jesus is like, you guys aren't getting the picture. You guys aren't getting what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to show here, what is going to happen here. This is happening for my glory. This is happening to show the world, to show everyone that's going to be around that area, and then to show millions of people who are going to read that story God's glory. Our blindness, right, our inability to see because Adam and Eve sinned, and let's not, you know, put the blame on Adam and Eve. If we were in the same place, we would have sinned much quicker, much faster, much worse. All of us, okay? They, they held out way better than, than we did. But because of that, now we are born from generation to generation in darkness and sin. And Jesus says, all of this, this mess, this being blind, this begging, this running to things that doesn't fill me, running to sources that don't give me life, all of this does not happen just because it happened, just because Satan at one time outsmarted God. It happens for God's glory. And what do I mean by that? Well, firstly, a person who is born blind and someone comes and, and fixes him. Let's talk about a doctor who comes and he fixes that person's eyesight. That doctor will be praised at least by that person who can now see. I was talking just recently with a physician. He, he's, like, he's like, he's a physician. Well, firstly, he's a Catholic, then he's a physician. He's like... Um, an engineer. He's a professor at, was a professor at UW. Um, and all these, I think he had a couple of other degrees. And he was sharing a little bit of his story and how he spent a good portion of his life as a missionary, doctor missionary to Africa. And one of his friends opened up the first uh, clinics to do like cataract surgery, just your basic 10-minute laser surgery that removes the cataract, like every other grandma that we know gets it. Well, they didn't have that back there, and that was the first clinic they opened. Three ladies walked 3,000 miles across Africa, walked 3,000 miles across Africa, blind, and maybe, he said blind. I'm thinking maybe semi-blind, like cataracts, but it was like horrible because they came to this person, his friend. This, this dude did the surgery on these three ladies for free. This was a, like a Catholic, like Catholics do it all the time. And that's why they have all these things running for them. But that's beside the point. He, he, he did it for free. And he put um, bandages on their eyes and said, don't take them off until I'm finished with all of them. They don't take that long to do. So all of them are sitting in the same room. He takes off, and then he says, now you can take off the bandages. They take off the bandages. They look at each other. And he says, the next thing they did after looking at each other, and I, like when he said this, I was like, I can see this happening. They bowed down, like fell down before this doctor, doctor, a man, they knew he was a man, who did their surgery, and he said, you are an apostle. You are a modern-day apostle. And they were, like, worshiping. They were like, dude, like, like, no worries, you know? Like, we do this all the time. They do, like, I don't know, a hundred of these surgeries um, in a week. So they do it all the time. But if that's the praise that a doctor gets for treating a little bit of glaucoma, imagine someone who is born blind, never able to see, and he gets instantly healed by someone who doesn't even have to operate on them. 
And this doesn't happen in our age, right? This happens 2,000 years ago when there's no idea of how to operate on the eyes. So this person is evidently going to get praised, okay? There's people that are going to hear about him. Other people are going to try to reach him. Other people are going to try to just listen to him. Like, we also hear that he's a really good teacher. This person will be praised, this doctor, this physician, this Jesus. Now, we're talking about a spiritual darkness. Let me take you back to the spiritual darkness I'm talking about. If we are born blind into this world, right? We are, every one of us, born, born into this world blind, and there is someone who can heal, not just heal one person or two people, but can heal anyone who comes to him, heal anyone who obeys him. And we'll talk about that. Obedience is important here. Who do you think will be praised in this process? The people who get healed, the people who get better, the people who can now see, who can now ride horses and, and go to coffee shops and just do things in life and enjoy and read. No, it's going to be that person. And so Jesus, by opening up this man's eyes, is showing us three things. That our eyes as believers were opened, and the eyes of the unbelievers who are currently living in darkness are opened by Jesus are opened for Jesus and are opened through Jesus. So they're opened by Jesus, meaning there is no other physician, no other person that can open a person's eyes to see the light. No other thing, no other religion can open but the, the, the true, pure religion of Christianity, that Jesus Christ is the only person that can make us see the things that we don't see. And trust me, there are things that we don't see. There are things that we don't understand. We know that with like school and science and math, but for some reason people don't really get that in, in their spiritual life. There are things that we are oblivious to, and we need someone to open our eyes to that. And there's only one person who would do that, that's Jesus. But he doesn't just open our eyes, he doesn't go like, here, look at light, look at creation. And we just look at creation and marvel. That's not what happens. He opens this person's eyes and the, and the first thing, right, that this person falls down and, and worships is the person who opened his eyes. It is Jesus. So he's opening his eyes and he's opening up his eyes so that he might see the source of light, the source of life, the source that healed him, the source that made him step out of darkness and into light. So we are healed by Jesus. We are healed for Jesus. And we are healed through Jesus. And here's the thing. I want, I want us to, to recap these three points in just 30 seconds. Firstly, if, if we could go back to the other slideshow. Thank you, Victor, for being on point, though. It's okay. No, it's no worries. We, so the first point, a tragic reality, an inherent condition in the mastermind's plan. So the first thing is all of us are born into this world blind like it sounds harsh but that's true we're not born with this knowledge of jesus we have to be taught it we have to hear it in our case a thousand times before sometimes in some weird place we finally get it right we say we get it we didn't get it god finally gave us the grace and the ability to to see it secondly 
We are born into it. It's not like you're born a Christian and then you fall away and then you come back to Christ. You, you're born blind to the things of God and then God opens that to us. And thirdly, God had a plan all along. It wasn't that God was making humans, Satan cheated them, and then God's like, well, let's start thinking up of a plan. That's not what happened. Jesus had a plan. God had a plan. The Spirit of God already had a plan. And the plan was Jesus. The plan was salvation. And the plan is for us today. But here's, here's the interesting part. Experiencing God's light. Let's read together. Um, verse 6. So Jesus comes up to this person. And this is the interesting part. He doesn't ask him if he wants to get healed. Let's read it. Uh, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus said this, he spit on the ground, made clay of spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes. Usually when Jesus heals someone, he asks, hey, do you have faith? Hey, do you want to get healed? Like, do you even care that I'm here? This, this person is different, and I feel like this is very close to what happens to us spiritually. Jesus comes up to this person. He spits on the ground. He takes the, the clay and he slaps it on his eyes and says to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. And spiritually speaking, that's what happens to every person. And I've, I've had this in my life, and maybe you can attest to this, where when I was coming to Jesus, it wasn't like I was doing something just tremendous, trying to find Jesus. It wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't do anything to be born into a Christian family. I, I didn't do anything to, to, to like hear about Jesus every probably day of my life. We didn't do that, did we? There, there was something about the way that God works all things that... He doesn't ask us, but his grace is all around us. And it's not just around us. If you were born into an unbelieving family, it's around us, you as well. Very much around you. Maybe even more so around you than around those who are born into believing families. God's grace works outside of like what we feel, what we desire. Because we always don't know what we desire. This blind man, what he really desires is Five more dollars for the day. That's it. That, that's what he desires. That's what his standard is. Jesus comes to him, and he, he has a higher standard for him. He has something better for him. He says, listen, if, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll be able to see. You'll be able to, uh, your eyes will be open to see the light. So experiencing God's light. This person is sitting there blind, and he feels um, someone moving about him. He hears Jesus and the disciples talking. Maybe he hears them talking about who sinned. He hears Jesus' answer, that it's for the glory of God. He says, neither this man sinned, nor his parents, but this is going to be happening for the glory of God. And then Jesus just slaps this clay on him. Very similar, looking back at my life and at other testimonies, is, is, is the way that God moves in our lives. We, and I just, it doesn't always happen like this, so I want to word my, be careful when I say this, but God moves in different ways, in mysterious ways. But very often, God will start to tug on our hearts. Especially 
if we're not saved, especially when we don't have like a personal relationship with Jesus, God will begin to just like, like move around. And, and so we, we can't see Jesus yet. We can't see the light, the source of light. We don't understand the things that are happening around us, but we sense something. We sense, we sense that there's some kind of movement. We, we feel that there's a a very close presence of God. We don't know that it's God. We're blind right now, right? I'm talking about as, as a person who is in darkness. We hear things, right? And we hear the words of Jesus. Again, maybe we're not sure that those are the words of Jesus, but those are the words of Jesus. And once we are opened, right, to the beauty of the world, once Jesus heals us, then we can see, oh, that was Jesus all along. That tugging in my heart was God's call all along. That feeling of discomfort while I had everything was God's grace in my life trying to reveal to me light, life. And so in my life, that's exactly what happened. Like I, I was living my life. I was happy where I was living. I like if looking back, like what else do you want? Do you want friends? Do you want sports? Do you want like, like you know, just... I don't know. Like, you have everything. You literally have everything and more, right? You're like, you're, you're cool, whatever that means. You're cool. But then, here's the interesting part. When you're by yourself, when you're going to sleep and there's no one around you, there's no noise, you start to hear things. You start to feel things. And you're like, dude, something is just not right Something is just nagging on me. There's some kind of commotion going out. And you don't know it's the spiritual world. But right now I'm here to tell you that feeling, that um, kind of sorrow the Bible calls it on your heart, is a very spiritual thing. It's a very godly thing. And it's a thing that will give you light. If, point number two, if you respond to God's light. If you respond to God's light. Verse 7 says of the same chapter. This man went away, washed, and came back seeing. So it's not just like a random boom. You know, you're like, you're saved. You just wake up one day and you're like, I don't know what happened, but I'm saved. Just feel good about myself. I understand the Bible now. It's a process. But once it happens and once we obey the call of God. Once we actually react to these feelings, react to these weird commotions of just like something isn't right. I have everything or maybe I have nothing. Maybe I'm just like in the worst place and still my heart's aching for something more. I understand that just begging, begging, sitting and begging is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't want to be spiritually drained all the time. I don't want to be spiritually poor. I don't want to live my life for five, ten bucks a day just so I could get somewhere. I don't want to do that. There's something more out there. And there is. And there is. And I believe that is the message today. That there is something more out there today. There's, there's creation. There's beauty. There's joy. And there, most importantly, is life in the light of Christ. There is life in the light of Christ. But what we have to do is when we feel that, when we understand or even don't understand that God is urging us, but we understand that something is just different and, and I, I don't want to live like this, you have to respond to the call of God. You must respond to the call of God. God will never force someone to serve him. This is where free will comes from. God will never make you bow down before him here on earth. 
There will come a time when we'll, we'll all understand standing before God, but right now, it's free will. Right now, it's God's grace working amongst us, but we respond to it. And my question today is, if you still haven't responded to that call of God, are you going to respond? Do you want to see the beauty of, of God? Do you, do you want to read the Bible and cry? Do you want to pray and understand that God is hearing you? And not cry just because you're crying, but like experience life like you've never experienced it before. Do you want to see the light? Well, then respond to the call of God. And I believe we'll have a prayer after this where you will be able to. You will be able to do it simply. This man couldn't do it simply. This man had mud on his eyes, made from spit that Jesus did, made walking across the city, a blind person walking across the city to get to a pool to wash himself. That's not easy. That's not easy. And sometimes it isn't easy. I I tell you, sometimes it isn't easy. To get over yourself, it isn't easy. To humble myself and say, you know, I am wrong. You know, I will repent. That's not easy. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. But it's the best thing to do. It's going to open up a whole new world before you. It's going to set you free from the bondage of darkness and into the light. And finally, there's a change that happens. Verse 8 of the same chapter says, The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? So there's people who saw this man beg for maybe decades. I don't know how old this person was, but by the way he talked to the Pharisees, he doesn't sound like a teenager. Sounds like he had some things figured out in his mind, theology-wise at least. And this man, this young man, I don't know, who's been there all the time, I don't think he traveled much, has people who've seen him all the time talk about him and say, is that him? Looks like him, but it can't be. What happened to him? His eyes were opened and he saw the light. He's a different person. And when the light comes into our lives, we change from the inside. Our parents will see it. Our family will see it. And the world around will see it. There will be new affections. There will be new priorities. There will be new desires. And from now on, this will be a life that will be radiating light all around. And... uh, Finally, it's not just the change that happens. It's also um, something, not just like you're different, but you are able to do things that were things that you weren't able to do before. Read with me in verse, let's do verse 30 of the same chapter. This is the same man, this blind beggar. He says, the man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. This man speaking to the, the top officials of his time. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, he has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You know when he said this? After the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He goes, he is from God. A blind beggar with no education, probably, very little education at least, is speaking against the the top officials of his time, and he's emboldened. 
there's a boldness that comes about after you receive the light to share the light with others. And that's actually one of the signs that the light has shown into your heart. You will become different in the way that you approach Christianity. It won't just be all about me. How can I just feed myself? You will want to share this and you will be bold about it in your own special way, but you will be bold about it. You will be the word that they use, and it's a negative word, kind of militant about it, but in a godly way. Because you understand that there's something that the world is missing, and this something is something that you were open to, that God has opened to you. I would like us to pray at this time. This is a very short, like, kind of synopsis of, of what's happening here. This is, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to talk about here, but here's the interesting thing. After Jesus heals this person, here's what Jesus says. He says, For judgment I came into this world. Same chapter, verse 39. After all of this has happened with this man and he finds him again, he's speaking to this blind man who is now able to see, who is now able to see the light of Christ. He says, I, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. One of the greatest fears that I have is to be blind, spiritually blind, and to think that I spiritually can see the light, that I'm enlightened. And in the Bible, that's what we find as one of the biggest sins. That's why Jesus went so hard against the people who were, quote-unquote, Christian. They were religious. They did all the right things. But Jesus went really hard against them and was really gracious to the other people because he's like, you guys aren't enlightened. You guys have not truly seen the light. You guys think you have, but you haven't. Who is the light? Same chapter, right before Jesus does all these miracles, all these miracles, he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he heals that person. If you, if you would like Jesus to touch your soul today and heal you, respond. Respond to his call. I'm not even saying cry out to him. Respond to his call. His grace is about us. Do what you need to do. If there's something that you need to ask for forgiveness for, go ahead and ask for forgiveness. Start, start allowing yourself to change under God's influence. And God will change you. And you will see the light, and you'll never be the same. I promise you. Let's pray.